Isaiah 55 is, is where we're adventuring tonight. <clears throat> you know, it's often said of the Bible, the adventures we have there, a child can bathe in it, an elephant can dive deep in it. I mean, the redemption narrative that runs all through Scripture, the scarlet thread that begins in Genesis and runs all the way through, um, you know, culminating in the cross, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's straightforward and it's beautiful and it's elegant and it's simple and it's impossible to miss for anyone who is willing to see it. You have to work hard to not see it. At the same time, in those same pages, is depth and texture and subtlety and nuance that, that convinces me we could study the Bible forever and we would still be uncovering and discovering new treasures. And I think we probably will be. My personal conviction. I think we will be studying the Bible forever. I was talking to somebody the other day who said, I can't wait to get to heaven where, where we'll have a perfect understanding of God's word. And I said, I, I, don't know, I, I don't know if I think that's true. I mean, it might be. I don't think I can prove that it's not. But I also don't see where it's promised. You know, if I, if I wanted to argue for it, I'd say, well, in heaven we've got glorified bodies and our brains are part of our bodies and maybe in heaven we use the 95% or whatever percent of it is of our brains that they say that we don't actually use. And, and, and so maybe uh, our glorified brains will have a glorified understanding of God's word. Maybe in heaven, because we have our glorified bodies, we no longer have this corrupt frame, this sin nature, this war within ourselves between flesh and spirit that gets in the way of our understanding of Scripture. So maybe, maybe we have perfect understanding. On the other hand, I, 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 I can't stop staring at the opening verses of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, if, if the Word was God, if Jesus is the living Word, can we fully comprehend the Word? Can we fully plumb the depths of something that God describes, unless I'm missing something, as infinite. Because God is infinite. I think about, I think about Proverbs 25, verse 2. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the honor of kings to search it out. Well, we know in the kingdom we are kings and priests. So is, is part of our eternity continuing as kings to search out deeper, greater, subtler, beautiful truths. I don't know. These are things I wonder about. Especially a night like tonight, where on the one hand, our text is beautifully simple and straightforward. On the other hand, it resonates with depth and weight and meaning and an immeasurable joy. As, as we, the harder we look, the more we see the, the character of God, the grace of God. And, and, and really, it's there from the opening verse. Isaiah 55, Ho, everyone who thirsts, comes, come to the waters. 
Let's just pause there. Ever been in a band or in an orchestra or in a band room? Maybe you weren't in band, but they used the band classroom for something else and you were there. Have you ever been in a room where, where someone hits a note and all of the other instruments resonate? They vibrate with that same note. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have no idea, but some of you have had the experience in your body where you hurt one part of your body. You hurt your foot, your ankle, your knee, and, 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 and you feel a stabbing pain referring up into your shoulder. It, that, that, that's, that's the pain in one part of your body resonating. I don't understand why, but I know that it happens, resonating in another part. Well, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. The Holy Spirit just hit a note that resonates back and forth all through the Word of God, doesn't it? We can, we can go back to Psalms. We can go to Psalm 42 and read, As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We can go to Psalm 63. I think I said 61 in your notes. That's a typo. God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. We can go all the way to the other end of the book. Go to the far end of the book. Go to Revelation 22. Almost to the very end of Scripture. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And in the middle of the book, in the Gospels, what do we read again and again? Jesus says, I'm the living water. He who drinks of me will never thirst again. Shouldn't surprise us, as we make our way back to Isaiah, shouldn't surprise us to find that the Holy Spirit here in Isaiah 55 is speaking of Jesus. He's been talking about Jesus for a few chapters now. The Holy Spirit's been talking about Jesus in chapter 49. Yes, we were glimpsing him earlier. Jesus does on every page, I understand. But he's very clearly, he's very prominent. He's in the forefront, starting in chapter 49. And we're only a chapter removed from chapter 53. Maybe the clearest, most profound picture of Jesus anywhere in the Old Testament. From the opening verses, we're reminded... And, and, and our minds start to align with everything else we know about water in Scripture and living water and those who are thirsty. And it gives us a lens through which to read what follows. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you, have no mo- you, uh, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, you can find commentators who, who assign meaning to water and wine and milk. Well, water is refreshment, and wine is enjoyment, and milk is nourishment, and maybe, I don't know. But I think we can read it more simply. Come. It's all for free. Come, all of you who need, all of you who lack, I have what you need. I have 
what you're looking for. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all of you weary, and I'll give you rest for your souls for free. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It doesn't cost you anything. Salvation is a gift from God. Everything we've been reading in Romans, right? What does salvation require? Think back to the last, I don't know, 27 Sundays or so. (laughs) Or just think back to last Sunday. What does salvation require? Willingness. Willingness to repent of whatever we were trusting in that wasn't Jesus and willingness to choose Jesus. Whether we were trusting in our works, whether we were trusting that God was grading on a curve and, you know, we're better than the guy next to us, we're better than Hitler, we're better than whoever. Whether we were trusting in, it doesn't matter. Repent of it. Repent of whatever way to heaven we thought we had found and choose Jesus. Why do you spend money for what's not bread? Verse 2. Why do you spend your wages for what does not satisfy? Why are you trying to buy, trying to work your way to heaven? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Remember, the the opening two lines gave us permission to see Jesus here. And once we see Jesus in these verses, we can't see anything else, can we? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Everything else costs. Every other way to heaven that anyone has ever proposed good deeds, clean thoughts, lots of prayers, Sacrifice after sacrifice, all comes with a cost. Money, time, does the, every path to joy that anyone has ever proposed goes through the flesh, goes through riches, goes through fame, goes through status. It all costs. And it never satisfies, does it? Some of you were saying, yeah, I've done that experiment. <laughs> Solomon did that experiment. He spent years and years of his life, we read about it in Ecclesiastes, looking for something under the sun, something in this creation that will satisfy. And at the end of it, he said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. There's nothing from this world that will satisfy. Jesus satisfies, but he's not of this world. He came into this world. But there's nothing of this world that satisfies. Almost every week we read about another Hollywood star that ran the same experiment. Some dot-com billionaire who did the same experiment, who had the means, who had the money, who had the wherewithal to look around and say, I have everything that I ever wanted. I have everything that money could buy. Every dream, everything that I ever hoped to achieve, I've achieved. And it's empty. And so many of them take their own lives because they come to the, to the end of the race and they win. And they say, wow, is this hollow? It costs. And there's no return on the investment. There's an alternative we're reading. 
Why do you spend money for what's not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Two verses in, we've already got the gospel. Listen, listen carefully. Choose, choose carefully. And the result is delight. When we choose Jesus, when we choose salvation at no cost to us, it's a free gift of God, there's delight for our souls. Now verse 3, the Holy Spirit's going to do the thing that he does where he says what he already said, but he says it again with more depth, more color, more texture, more flavor. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. I read that, and, and, and it's me, and I'm a prisoner of my generation, and I just hear, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> the Terminator was a redemption movie, so that's something else that resonates. Okay, 10 minutes of your life, you're never going to get back. <laughs> What is this redemption based on? Holy Spirit's circling back again. He's covering the same ground, but covering it in greater depth. We're redeemed. We're redeemed for free. But how? Through the sure mercies of David. Well, what does that mean? A couple different ways to read it. This is where we, we go from the shallow end and we're venturing into the deep now. Sure mercies of David. How are we redeemed? A couple ways to read it. One is, is, is read it as God saying, because I said so. Because my word says so. And you can believe it. You can believe the new covenant in Christ's blood just as you can believe that God's covenant with David was guaranteed. Psalm 89. Psalm 89 starting verse 30. If his son forsakes my law and does not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I'll punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fall. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that's gone out of my lips. Once I've sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. So there's a way of reading this where God is saying, you can believe me because I don't lie. You can believe me that I'm telling the truth the same way that I spoke the truth to David. I told David I'm not lying. I'm telling you that I'm not lying. There's forgiveness in my new covenant. <laughs> so, so option A, we can be confident based on the fact of God's word. He, he said it. He means it. That settles it. It could also mean Here's another way of looking at it. The sure mercies of David are not the fact of the word, but actually the content of the word. The, not just the fact that God said something, but what God said. What did God say to David? That the covenant that he made with David would be fulfilled by a descendant of David, by a seed of David. I know that you'll be shocked if I say that I think it's both. God has promised he is saying, I've promised you like I promised David, and I'm promising you what I promised David. 
What did God promise David? Jesus, the seed of David. Back to Isaiah 55, verse 4. Indeed, I've given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Who's him? Again, we, we started off in, in the shallows and we said, wow, verse 1, verse 2, there's the gospel. And you can't miss it. it. Like You have to close your eyes if you don't want to see it. But now we're going into the deeps. And again in verse 4, I think we have a double meaning. Who is him? There are, there are, there are some people who are content to, content to read that as David. Because the last singular noun before him was David. So the sure mercies of David, him is David, and David was a witness and a leader and a commander. And there's some, I mean, we can go with that. Tug at that thread, where does that lead? Why was David a witness and a leader and a commander? How did he get to do those things? He was a murderer and an adulterer. Because he repented. And believed that God would forgive him. Believed that God could and would have mercy on him. Why? Because God had promised. But what had God promised? He promised to send a deliverer. He promised to send a Messiah. He promised that there would be a propitiation, a substitution, a sacrifice. Did David fully understand all that? I'm sure he didn't. Did he know his name was Jesus? I'm sure he didn't. Did he know that somehow, through one of his descendants, God was going to repair broken things? God was going to purchase redemption? I think he at least glimpsed it. Now let's keep going. The same opportunity that David had, Israel had. Why did Israel need to be forgiven? Because Israel rejected her Savior. Getting a little deeper still now, but go with me on this. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he's glorified you. So here's a point of connection with where we were just last Sunday, right? This should be resonating this is where the church, this is where the Gentile church makes the Jew jealous, makes the unbeliever jealous. But let's read a little bit more carefully. Yet yeah, David was both a source and a beneficiary of the sure mercies the Holy Spirit was talking about, verse 3. He's a source in that the Davidic covenant was given to him and fulfilled through him, fulfilled through his descendants, specifically Jesus. He was a beneficiary in the sense that he enjoyed the forgiveness that his descendant Jesus made possible. And that same forgiveness was made available to Israel. We have to remember that this is Isaiah speaking 700 years before Jesus is born. And he's talking, has been talking, about the salvation of Israel. 
Israel was presented with the same opportunity that David was. Israel was offered the same sure mercies of David. The mercies that he enjoyed and the mercies that came from his loins, from his seed, from his descendant. Except Israel said no. Everything we've been talking about, Romans 9, 10, and 11, right? Israel said no. So the nations... Strangers, foreigners, Gentiles have today an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel, have an opportunity to respond to these sure mercies of David because of Jesus, because of the cross. Except that's not where the Holy Spirit stops in verse 5. Come with me even deeper. Verse 5, let's look at it again. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you. Yeah, 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 that sounds like what we read on Sunday, Patrick. Read this next part carefully. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Who's you? Jesus? I mean, we want to say Jesus, and that works, that makes sense. The Gentiles are coming to Christ. Why? Because God glorified him. And today, we affirm the gospel, our lives prove the gospel. By believing the gospel, we're saved. And by believing the gospel and living out the gospel, we invite other people to be saved. But who is in view in chapter 54 and chapter 53? Who has God been talking to? If, if, if we didn't just start in the middle here tonight... If we were reading the book of Isaiah all the way through, and we, we were reading from 52 to 53 to 54, we'd remember, look back at 54, verse 1, Sing, O barren, who have not born, break forth into singing, and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. Who was that addressed to? Israel. Go back to 53. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To whom had the Lord, arm of the Lord been revealed? Who's, who's, who's saying this and who are they referring to? Israel talking about Israel. Carry that understanding now into chapter 55. Look again at verse 5. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you, Israel. The Holy Spirit's been talking about the kingdom and still is. There's a role reversal going on here. And if we don't slow down, we miss it because we just read what we read in Romans. But in the kingdom... The roles are reversed. The role that the nations play today and the role that Israel is in today are reversed in the kingdom. It's no longer the Gentile believer making the Jew jealous. It's the believing remnant of Israel making the nations jealous. After Israel repents, God glorifies her. That's where we were at the end of chapter 54, right? After Israel repents, God glorifies her. So now, carry that understanding into verse 6 and 7. 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's never not true. It's true in our day. It was true in Isaiah's day. It's true in David's day. It'll be true in the tribulation. It's always true, and it's always true for the same reason, Jesus. So if we go back to verse 2 and we say, hey, this is the simple gospel, and then we walk to verse 6, we say, yeah, it's Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you should know Jesus. And if you've never repented of sin and come to faith in Jesus to be forgiven, you should really do that. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let him return to the Lord, he'll have mercy on him. That's never not true. But when does the Holy Spirit particularly, especially have in view here? In the context of 52 and 53 and 54. This is an exhortation especially for Israel, I think during the tribulation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Time is short. He's coming back soon. Here's another possibility. This is the deepest water we're going in tonight. And this is speculative. There's 75 days between the return of Jesus and the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Is it during that interval when Israel has one final chance, when unbelieving Jews have one final opportunity to join with the believing remnant? I don't know what I think about that. Something that I wonder, and I haven't studied it nearly enough. And the Holy Spirit gives us permission to not fully know or fully understand. Verses 6 and 7 is never not true, but in context, I think that we have to read it especially as an exhortation to Israel. Come back, believe, repent. But exactly when and how that plays out, God gives us permission in the next verse to not fully know or understand. My thoughts are not your thoughts, verse 8. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is one of those verses or pairs of verses we toss around casually. God's ways are above our ways. They're way past finding out. And we toss it around without really thinking about it, without probably knowing where is that in Scripture. That's okay. That, that's, that's fine, because it stands alone as truth. It's also something that's never not true. His ways are always above our ways. But I enjoy the fact that in context, it immediately follows the Holy Spirit talking about the salvation of Israel. I love that. Because for so many centuries, so much of the church has said it can't be. Israel can't be saved, won't be saved, will never be saved. Can't be, won't be, makes no sense. And God's answer <laughs> makes sense to me. I know it doesn't make sense to you, but that's okay. You're not me. It makes sense to me. God says, it's what I told David I was going to do. And it's how I said I was going to do it. Jesus a descendant of David, the seed of David, and his atoning death. I've been talking about it since way back in Genesis chapter 3. It was my plan all along. 
in Romans, when we were in Romans 8, and we were there for a minute, right? Almost every week, I spoke in, in, in fawning terms about the wonderful words and the wonderful insight of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I don't repent of any of that. He, he has some of the, the, the best commentary on Romans 8 I've ever encountered. He gets to Romans 9 and he goes to the zoo. He really does. He gets to Romans 9 and he says things like, I just don't see how God could do this. I just can't envision God forgiving Israel. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, he says things very, very close to what I just said. And God's answer, verse 8 and 9, do you really think that the blood of Jesus is that weak? Do you really think there's a sin that the blood of Jesus can't wash away? If you can't comprehend it, that's fine. But don't put your limitations on me, God says. My ways are above your ways. I'm doing my thing. For as the rain comes down, verse 10, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it might give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. There's another verse that we toss around. God's word won't return void. We, especially as pastors, we say that to each other. Well, you know... You know, that was a train wreck, but God's word won't return void. Sometimes you got to say it to pastors. Well, Patrick, you know, that was a dumpster fire of a message. But hey, God's word doesn't return void. And that's true, and praise God. That's what gets me through some Sunday afternoons. But what is the Holy Spirit saying here specifically? God the Holy Spirit is saying, I said what I said. I promised what I promised. And man's transgression can't change my plan. And Israel's rebellion can't change my plan. Humans are simply not that powerful. In worship before, before I came up, we sang, heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. Most of you know, I think, that that's a rewriting of the original lyric. The author originally wrote, heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. And we said, ooh, I don't know that I want to sing that on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so, so most churches that I'm familiar with have, have tweaked that, like an unforeseen kiss. As I thought about it, knowing where we were in the Word tonight, that, that's actually an unfortunate substitution also. I don't want to go back to sloppy wet kiss, but unforeseen kiss isn't exactly accurate. God knew it was coming. It caught us by surprise. And I think we're still surprised. God forgives His, His people, the people that, that he, he called out and that he especially blessed, that he gave the law to, that he tabernacled among, he, he sent his Shekinah glory to be with them. More revelation, more prophets, more teaching. They betrayed him. They handed him over to be crucified. And God forgives them. I can see where we, from our perspective, say, yeah, didn't see that coming. 
From God's perspective, why not? Of course I did. God promised to forgive. He said he would make a way for mercy to come in, and he has. Look again at verse 10. God's word brought forth rain and snow. What's he pointing at? Living water. Same verse. God's word gave seed to the sower and the bread of life to the eater. My gospel will save, God said in his word. I will save the nations and I will save my people Israel. And Isaiah is saying, perhaps not fully understanding what he's saying, but Isaiah is saying to the future remnant of Israel, believe that. Even if you can't comprehend it, believe it. Believe the Lord, believe his love. And when you do, verse 12, you'll go out with joy and be led out with peace. Because whenever we repent, that's the result, right? Whenever we repent, that's the fruit, joy and peace. So too it'll be with Israel. So too it'll be through Israel. When Jesus returns, when his people repent and welcome him back, still verse 12, the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. The salvation of Israel isn't just possible, it's promised. And when Israel repents and ushers in the God of Israel, keeping his promise, the Messiah of Israel, delivering on that promise, the world the world, verse 12, will celebrate. Because that will be the greatest forgiveness. And God will receive the greatest glory. Verse 13, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Thorn, from the earliest pages of Genesis, speaks of sin. Cypress, cedars, always speaks of life. The curse will begin to turn back. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God who is perfect in justice is also great in mercy and delights in forgiveness. And the world will see. Wednesday night, Roomful Adventurers. And I'm confident most of you know the Lord Jesus. And because you do, you might be thinking, okay, I don't, there, there, there's not a big application for me here tonight. Because, because right off the bat in those first two verses, we saw the gospel. Hey, I believed on the gospel. I've obeyed the gospel. I've traded places with Jesus. He died in my place. And, it, and, and as we got deeper, wow, that's, that's not just my salvation, but it's Israel's salvation. That's cool. Isaiah's the evangelical prophet. He's calling Israel to salvation. That's cool. Let's wrap up. We will. But I've got to try to give you something to take home. I've got to try to give you something to think about. So think about this. Verse 12. When Israel repents... The result is joy and peace. When anyone repents, the result is joy and peace. You're saved, that's great. How's your joy and your peace this evening? If I asked you and you were in the mood to be honest, what would you tell me? 
Because peace and joy should be the fruit of salvation. The ongoing fruit of salvation. And, and, and our enjoyment of it is part of our testimony to the world. It's part of how we show the world that we're changed. That Jesus changed us. That we're different because Him. If you're not sure where you left your joy and your peace, you set it down somewhere and you can't remember where, it might be worth taking another quick glance through this short chapter. Back to verse 2. Why do you spend money for what's not bread and your wages for what doesn't satisfy? You're saved, but along the way, did you start looking for happiness, contentment, fulfillment in something other than the Lord Jesus? Verse 3, listen again to God's promises. Incline your ear. And do what does God say? Come back to me. Verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Return to the Lord. Because there's mercy waiting. God wants to finish what he started in all of us. What began in the Spirit, we can't finish in the flesh. And we don't need to. God has promised to finish what he started in us. As we yield to him. As we incline our ear to him. As we keep going back to him. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy. When we turn back to God, every time we turn back to God, as many times as we need to turn back to God, is, is where we'll find what we're looking for. We can be Solomon, and we can go on a walkabout and, 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 and try to prove, is there, are we really sure that there isn't something better somewhere else? Are we really sure that there's nothing better in anything else? But every time we come back to the Lord, we find what we were looking for all along. If sin has become a substitute for the Savior, if, if wickedness is, is getting in the way of your relationship with His, with his Word, what does Isaiah say? What, is, what does the Holy Spirit say? Return to the Lord and he will have mercy. Return to our God. He will abundantly pardon. And you might be here tonight saying to yourself, that doesn't make sense. I can't do that. I can't ask that of God. Because Jesus already saved me. He already delivered me from the world. He already rescued me from my sin. And I went back. Before I was ignorant. I went back knowing Jesus. Before I didn't know. I went back knowing I know that I didn't, I, I, I went back knowing that I didn't need to, knowing I wasn't supposed to, knowing there wasn't anything there for me, and I went back anyway. How am I supposed to ask for forgiveness again? Because God said we could. I don't understand how, how he can do that. Verse 8 and 9, he says, you don't have to. You don't have to understand why I choose to forgive. You don't have to understand the depths of my mercy. You can't. My ways are above your ways. You just have to realize, you just have to remember, you just have to, to hang on to the fact, this is how I said it was going to be. 
So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth not return void, but accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What is this word all about? Forgiveness. Why do we have this book in our hands? Because it tells the story of grace and mercy. And it tells us that joy and peace are waiting, verse 12. If they were far away when you came here tonight, reach out and and, and lay hold of them. Let God reach in and lay hold of your heart. And verse 13, you will be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign. And you will not be cut off. As Naomi comes back up, it was interesting. She's filling in tonight. There was another worship team scheduled. Thanks for your flexibility, by the way. But we were doing a quick back and forth. Hey, I've got these songs in mind, and, and hey, order and flow. And so many songs that we sang before the message just resonated with the word, right? So, so, the, so the question was, what do we close with tonight? Where do we land? And, and, and I, was, I was thinking, all the poor and powerless... Because, because, because that pictures Israel. I mean, it's everybody, right? But it's Israel crying out and then shouting from the mountains. And, and, then, and then we kept going like, because of your love. Oh, we could have done that last. Because of your love. Jesus, you endured my pain. Savior, you bore all my shame. All because of your love. And that would have fit perfectly. But I think she's actually landed on the, on, on the best song out of, out of all of the ones that she had. Let's close tonight just singing gratitude. (laughs) Because that's the right response. Do we understand? No. And and maybe in heaven we will, or maybe it's like God's word. We'll, we'll, We'll get closer and closer and closer and never quite arrive. But we don't have to understand to be grateful. Let's praise the Lord from a place of thanksgiving as we close tonight.